We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Always fun when you have technical difficulties starting off the show for a split second. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing. It's Wednesday, January 10, 2018. Got to right before. <laughs> This is the Morning Briefing. I am your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up today, we're going to talk to the American Legion's Matt Schumann. He is their legislative director. He's going to talk to us about what their legislative goals are for 2018, what the big ticket items are. I think you can probably guess what number one is. Yeah, we've been talking about it since this show started. The Choice Program didn't get done in 2017. Does Matt Schumann think he can get done in 2018? We're going to find out when we talk to him coming up in just a little bit. And then later on in the show, the CEO of Vetted, Robert White, Army veteran, is going to come on and talk to us about his organization who has the stated goals of restructuring and privatizing the veteran transition process and reversing the downtrend in veteran entrepreneurship. We're going to find out exactly how Robert and the team at Vetted plan to do those things and what progress they've made in pursuit of those goals. So, a lot of great stuff coming up this morning on The Morning Briefing. And of course, as usual, we started off with uh, great stuff sitting across from me. That's right, Jake Great Stuff Hughes. That's his new nickname. Yeah, it's been my nickname forever, man. It has. I'm just, just, I, God, I'm been. awesome. <laughs> oh, Great Stuff. That's what people called him back in the day down in Houston. Good morning, Jake. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, had a good morning. Uh, had a good walk with my dog. Had good everything. It's just been a good day so far. And granted, it's, you know, like 7 in the morning, but yeah. hey, it's been good so far. I forget it. So we both have dogs. But you have to walk yours in the morning. My wife walks the dog when she wakes up. I don't have to do that before I head in here. I I am thankful of that. Do you enjoy, though, getting out and going for the walk with the dog in the morning? Does it help wake you up? Or is it more often than not like, oh, God, I got to go walk the dog. I, I will admit that more than one time I've lied in bed and turned off my alarm and sat there for a minute just going, I do not want to mess with the dog right now. Did yeah. I just stay in bed? I have that thought occasionally, and I had it this morning. I'll tell you what the issue is that I've been having lately. I wake up, and I'm, like, dehydrated. I am dry because we have the heat on in the wintertime, and on the third floor of our house especially, which is where the bedrooms are, uh, it's just it's incredibly dry. I have a humidifier up there. doesn't seem to make that much of a difference. I wake up with, like, cracked lips and thirsty, and just it's tough getting out of bed, man. I do like have so, so little liquid within my body that getting out of bed to go take a shower and brush my teeth and all the good stuff that I, uh, that I have to do in the morning just is difficult to do. If I wasn't coming in to do, uh, this very fun thing that we do here at connecting vets.com, yes. I think it would be <laughs> probably would have stopped getting out of bed that early. Yeah. You know I, I mean? My problem is I've been going to bed late cause I've been, there's a, there's a week long, uh, live stream event going on right now. Called, oh, what? Uh, it's called awesome games done quick. Basically hmm. what it is, is people, it's a 24 hour, seven day live stream of people playing video games and trying to beat them as fast as possible. Speed runs. Yeah. Speed runs. And it's all for charity. They've, they've raised, cool. they regularly raise, uh, over $1 million for the prevent cancer foundation. That's a 
great thing. Yeah, really cool thing. And I just so I just I've been up too late watching runs of that, so that's probably why I'm tired. You know, I speed runs for people who aren't familiar with the current state of video games often tend to focus on the games that we grew up with. Games like Mario Brothers, for example, or Sonic the Hedgehog. Who can get it done the fastest? There are world records, and millions of people will watch someone you know, break the world record. I remember watching a guy uh, beat the record in Super Mario Brothers, for example, in a recording of the live stream. There were like a couple hundred thousand people watching the live stream, and then millions upon millions had seen it afterwards. And it's uh, it's it just shows you how kind of uh, broadcasting has changed a little bit. How yeah. that never would have been on television before. Just, what was it, 10 years ago maybe when The King of Kong came out, the documentary about the video game guys who uh, had broken the record on the arcade cabinets of like Donkey Kong and Pac-Man and all that stuff. That documentary was kind of... Um, it was fascinating, but to some extent, it was a look at these weirdos. Why are these guys so focused on this game? Why has this overtaken their lives? Now, kind of the 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 growth that we've seen from that is live streaming and people doing it from their homes and having huge followings. Yeah, it's just the rise of the internet and the fact that people can do this from they can they don't have to have a uh, hundred thousand dollars of high speed equipment and stuff no. to broadcast live. They can literally just put a webcam on and just hit pl- hit record and broadcast to hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people. My uh, first post-military broadcasting job was a morning show host on Long Island at a college radio station at my alma mater, Hofstra University, wearing this shirt today. I only have three Hofstra shirts. This is one of them. So (laughs) uh, I was hosting the morning show there, but I didn't feel that people were hearing enough of what I had to say. So I also wanted to do a podcast. My wife got me uh, as a birthday present, like the gear to do it, and it costs less than two hundred dollars, I think, in total. Good microphone, a little uh, little um, mixing board, and some cables to go into your computer. That's all you need to do a podcast, and then add in a camera. Oftentimes, uh, your your laptop already has a camera on it, but these guys have slightly better rigs than that. They'll have a separate camera hooked up to the internet that's watching them as they play TV. It's uh, it's it's fascinating stuff. Now, here's a question for you. I know there are a ton of streamers out there. There are the extremely popular ones that even I know people like PewDiePie, right? That's one of them. That's the Swedish guy who goes like, Oh my God, guys watch me play. It's kind of annoying, but I understand what he's doing and that I'm not his target audience. So there's that guy. There's some other ones out there. Uh, Mighty mouse Johnson for UFC fans is making, I think close to as much money streaming his gaming as he does for the UFC. (laughs) So that gives you uh, that. I don't know if that's uh saying that streaming does great or that the UFC isn't paying their perhaps their most dominant champion uh, ever uh, enough money. But are there any veterans that you know of that are that are big streamers or that have a, a sizable following out there? Not that I know of personally, but I know that uh, one of the live streamers I watch, a guy named Fighting Cowboy, he actually works for the VA. Oh wow! Yeah, that that that's as that's as close as I can really think off the top of my head. We'll have to see if we can find that because there are. I'm, I guarantee you, there's some oh, yeah. guy out there. It's probably somebody who doesn't even mention it. He's not sitting there like I was in the army or I was in the air force. But considering the fact that, like, I we we know that the gaming culture is changed over the years. If you were my age, I'm, I just turned thirty uh, eight this past November. 
if you were my age 20 years ago, you were not playing video games. It just didn't, it, it wasn't something that was part of your life. But for those of us who grew up like you and I did in the 80s and 90s, where video games went from being just this kind of uh, parlor trick thing to this uh, advancing technology, it's a big part of life for people in our generation. It's something that I'm 38, I have a family, I'm able to uh, focus on my family, I do things with my family, and I'm able to play video games. Yeah, Not that, as much as I used to. That's how, again, the culture has shifted in that it used to be that gamers were just the the, old, the uber nerds. Overgrown the people, children. Yeah, that live in their parents' basement, you know, eat, eating Hot Pockets or whatever. Eating the hot there is still are awesome. a lot of that. Yeah, there is still a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> still but, a lot of that, and hey, I, I, don't, I haven't eaten a Hot Pocket in a long time, but it's not because they're not delicious. Exactly. But these days, really, like you said, it's part of everyday culture for people that you can have a, a productive life and still, like, even obsess over video games yeah. like myself. You know, I do a good thing here. I'd like to think I do a good job here. But I go home and I, I stream sometimes, too. I play my video games a lot. And it's just, it's how technology has advanced to where... You're able to do both. Yeah. Well, and that's, I've only streamed ever once, and it was just to see how it worked with, I think, Twitch is what I used. Yeah. Through my Xbox, and I was playing a game called Elite Dangerous, or as one of my friends calls it, uh, Space Trucker, which essentially it's what you do. You, you are trying to get better spaceships while you fly around an actual-sized representation <laughs> of our universe and deliver things from space station to space station, planet to planet, go find. It's 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 a very interesting, almost zen-like game. It's not exciting. You don't spend a lot of time. There is some shooting and stuff like that, if you want there to be. But you spend most of your time just looking for things and making deliveries and flying. And it's kind of a kind of a way for me to just zone out when I need to. Right. Um, and it was interesting to have just in doing it for like two days. I think I did it for a grand total of like four hours over two days and had a couple people who were like followed me on Twitch. One of them was talking to me. was like, Hey, I'll meet up with you in the game and we can fly around and blah, blah, blah. And it took him so long to get where I was that I had actually stopped playing the game by that <laughs> point. It could, take, it could take hours to get from one point to another in that game. But it, it's a fascinating thing that I think a lot of people, even just a few years older than me, don't get. It's something that just what it wasn't their thing and i think they just missed that window of the original nintendo and sega master system which came out early 80s essentially like 84 or something like yeah. that i remember getting it for i got the my parents got me one got me the sega master system i think my dad did and i think he might have gotten it on a trip to Japan or something like that. And then my mom got me the Nintendo. Well, I couldn't have two systems, so I ended up uh, keeping the Sega. That's the one that they gave to me, and the Nintendo went back. Don't know why I couldn't have two systems. Come yeah. on, man. What are you, what are you guys well, doing? Well, I would me? say it's expensive to, have a, expensive to have a library of games to support two systems, but anyway. Yeah, that's but, true. And also, uh, I was a five-year-old. Well, so. right. But <laughs> the, there is actually, like you mentioned, crossover to the veteran community. Like I remember when I was deployed to Iraq... My first deployment, we had a LAN system set up in the building where we were living so we could all play Halo 2. And on my second deployment, people were always, you know, asking their families to send them their Xboxes, their PlayStations, so they could play stuff when they're not on mission. Because even when you're at war, playing a video game, even if it's just for like 30 minutes, it gets that escape, lets you leave Iraq and go to whatever world it is you're playing in. And uh, that's really was a benefit for people over there, I think. 
Yeah, and it's one of those things I've talked to you before about how the the German medevac uh, folks, the the medics over at my uh, base in Afghanistan, had a land set up and would play Call of Duty, and I would go over there and play with them. But I was the only guy in my unit of five we were a small unit five americans i think i was the only one who played video games at all so it's it's again it's like that generational thing where there are a lot of people who missed it but there are a lot of people who do it we had a kid (laughs) when i was stationed over in greece he couldn't get a good enough internet uh, stream basically going to play games that he wanted to play online in his barracks room i came in on a weekend to pick something up from the uh from the the building where i worked i come in and our TV editing suite had been turned into a gaming nest. Oh my gosh. There was just like (laughs) junk food and him sitting there and he didn't expect anyone to come in because nobody came in on Saturdays for any reason except for the person who was on duty, which was him that weekend. The look on his face when I came in, I was like basically the boss at that point. The look on his face when I came in was like, oh no, (laughs) am I in trouble? And actually, no, he wasn't. I was like, this is a pretty cool setup. It was a triple monitor video editing system and he had it set up where that was, he could see everything on the screen. (laughs) Um, So I was like, wow, this is impressive. It's pretty cool. He's like, oh, thanks. And I was like, you will have this cleaned up by the time you leave here tonight, right? He was like, "Uh, yes, yes, I will. Yes, sorry, Petty Officer. Okay, cool. Um, Yeah, it's one of those interesting things that maybe we can find, and if anybody knows, uh, a veteran streamer out there who's got a, a sizable following. That's somebody I'd like to talk to and see how how exactly it works for those guys who get the big following where they're able to make it a career. There are people who make this, this is their full-time yep. job. That PewDiePie guy over in Sweden, what's his name, Felix Kjellberg or something, yeah, something like, like that. that. He is a multimillionaire based off of streaming. And not only that, he's, he's he at one point was uh, contracted to YouTube to do a television show uh, that got canceled because of some things that happened on his stream. Yeah, he made some uh, some decisions that some people didn't like, and you know whatever that's it, it happens. Um, you you have people though who make this not just a career but like a really successful career. If the big people are making millions, that means that there's a, a mid-level who are making a couple hundred thousand and the lower level who are making well, more than you and I are to play video games all day. Yeah, that, that guy I talked about who works for the VA, he, for a while he was he was debating whether he should quit his job at the VA to stream full-time, yeah. but he's found a good balance. So That's what you have to do, I think, but uh, yeah, let's see if we can find one of those guys I'll look, to talk to. I'll, look, I'll be on the lookout. That would be a good thing. Of course, the big news yesterday in the vet sphere was that the president signed a new executive order aimed directly at veterans transitioning from active duty to civilian life, particularly when it comes to mental health care. You see, according to this new executive order, vets can get mental health care for at least one year after they separate from the service, regardless of any service-related connection to the issue. So there are different things and different amounts and time of care that you can get. If you are a service-connected disability, whatever that is, you are basically treated for that issue for the rest of your life. But like for me, someone who served in Afghanistan, uh, in theater, anybody who did that, when you get out, I think it's seven years of health care under the VA that you're authorized. But mental health care for, for non-service connected thing, for someone who just got out, uh, who didn't serve in Iraq, Afghanistan, someplace like that. And there's going to be more and more of those going forward as we've drawn down significantly the number of people serving in those places will now have at least one year after they separate and it doesn't need to be a service connected it, you know there there can be mental health issues that develop after you get out you get out and you're fine and then you go through some struggles and some stress and the adjustment and 
there's a little bit of a disconnect there for you. You'll now be able to go there. Uh, it's called the Supporting Our Veterans During Their Transition from Uniform Service to Civilian Life Order, which you, that's, that's, a, uh, that's a mouthful. It's a bit, bit wordy. Uh, <laughs> it directs the VA, DOD, and Homeland Security to come up with uh, the plan for this. It's estimated that about 60% of new veterans don't qualify for VA health care because they lack a verified service connection. Again, related to specific issues. Right. If you get out with an honorable discharge and you've served a certain amount of time, you are eligible for, you know, your general health care at the VA for a period of time. And and this is but this is for specific issues. Um, there was a quote that we got in the great story that's on ConnectingVets.com. You should go check it out. Jonathan Copanger wrote this up, former VA employee, so a man who knows of what he speaks. Um, as service members transition to veteran status, they face higher risk of suicide and mental health difficulties, said VA Secretary Dr. David Shulkin. During this critical phase, many transitioning service members may not qualify for enrollment in health care. The focus of this executive order is to coordinate federal assets to close that gap. This is also specialized health care because, look at it this way, I didn't know this when I got out, but boy did I learn because I had a uh, an issue that came up and wanted to deal with it and couldn't. So I got out and seven years of VA health care is, is what I was given, essentially. It goes until August of this year, actually. That'll be seven years since I got out. Uh, I was not eligible for dental. Yeah, that, that. only retirees are eligible for dental, and that's through Tricare, not really the VA. Right, the VA doesn't do much with dental unless it's service connected. Again, if you are uh, someone who uh, is hit by an IED and, and lost all your teeth, okay, they're going to take care of that. But for uh, you know regular Joe Navy like me or Joe Army like you, you ain't getting any uh, any dental stuff done through the VA. No, that's you know even me who is you know was medically retired, I still have to use the the dental given to us by uh, by our work because yeah. I didn't my my dental problems which <laughs> are extensive, uh, <laughs> too much soda. I'm cutting back up. Uh, it's not connected to my service, so mm-hmm. the VA won't fit the bill. I could probably, you know, if you drank too many of those 25-cent Patriot's Choice sodas that you get overseas, do you remember those? (laughs) Those things are just sugar with a little bit of flavoring sprinkled on it and then a couple drops of water. Oh, God, I miss those, though. And the stupid names. Dr. Blast. That was the Dr. Pepper ripoff. Oh, what was the Mountain Dew one called? It was called like I don't even remember Mountain Spring or something like it, they basically were making these knockoffs and it was some company that had a contract with the government or the government making them themselves who knows and I remember in Sigonella Sicily at the exchange they had a Patriot's Choice vending machine where it was a quarter you put in a quarter and you got a can of the most sugary soda you've ever <laughs> had in your life but hey, it cost a quarter, so there's the trade-off. Uh, yeah, dental not included. I had to wait. So I had an issue where um, I had a cavity in one of my, uh, um, what do you call it, teeth on the back there? The molar. One right, a molar right in front of the wisdom teeth because I had my wisdom teeth removed while I was in the military, two while I was in Iceland, and then two while I was in Jacksonville. Iceland didn't go so well. Jacksonville went great. They sent me out into the civilian world to get it done in Jacksonville, <laughs> and that was much better. Whereas in Iceland... I was not out. They didn't put me out. They put me under like, you know, they, I had a whole bunch of uh, uh, Novocaine in my lip and everything. And I had kind of tunnel vision from how much of that there was. And as they're pulling out my wisdom tooth, and this was a Navy captain who was the dentist in Keflavik, I hear a crack and a, uh-oh. <laughs> That's not what you want to hear from someone who's working on your teeth. So I'm Just, trying to talk. My mouth is numb. I can't move. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, (laughs) two things you never want to hear a doctor say, whoops, and oh my God. Yeah, his was, this was a big whoops, and essentially the wisdom tooth uh, cracked. 
The reason I had it pulled out was because it had a cavity in it. First cavity I ever got in my life. Years later, I would get one in the molar right next to it, um, which I've had dentists tell me it was probably uh, mostly related to the fact that um, I had braces and the braces have those metal bands that went around. And if something got, if I didn't take great care of my teeth when I had the braces, that could, so yeah, issue like that. Um, the other wisdom teeth I got pulled out when I was in Jacksonville sedation dentistry. It was great. But this, this one that I had the cavity because I didn't have any dental coverage and I actually think I wasn't yet married. So I wasn't on my wife's uh, uh, medical plan. This cavity just grew and grew until the tooth eventually snapped in half. Oh yeah. So I was just missing a chunk of tooth basically didn't hurt or anything like that, but food would get stuck there. It was just, it was gross. And I had to wait until I was on my wife's insurance to get it taken care of because I couldn't afford it on my own. And I didn't have VA dental coverage because I don't know who does honestly, other than people who have clearly service connected, like an injury that knocks out teeth, then you'll get dental coverage at least until that issue is fixed. And then you're probably on your own. I don't know, but they, they do have dental at the VA, but it's only available to a very select group mm-hmm. of people, which I uh, I did not know when I got out. So that's specialized care, much like mental health care is. Um, they've also changed some things recently where the VA has moved towards, you know, if you are a veteran in need and show up at a VA hospital, they're not going to turn you away for a mental health issue. Yeah, that's good because that can... Like we've said, transition is a very tough process. Even if you have all your ducks in a row, it's still a stressful time. And so this goes a very this goes a very good distance towards making sure veterans are cared for through every step of their transition. Now, we do have uh, some negative reaction to this executive order from the president. See, the thing about the executive order is basically all it does is says to the VA, hey, you come up with the plan for this. DOD, you come up with a plan for this. The executive order doesn't actually have any plan or much detail to it. No one seems to be entirely sure of what the executive order is actually saying. Um, ranking member for the Democrats on the House Committee of Veterans Affairs, Tim Waltz, uh, also the highest ranking enlisted service member ever to serve in Congress, released a statement after the executive order was signed saying, I've long been a proponent of increased coordination between DOD and the Department of Veterans Affairs as a mean to improve life and experiences of service members transitioning from active duty to civilian life. However, I am seriously concerned by the White House's failure to provide any specific details to Congress or engage with veterans or uh, organizations in the community until the day of the executive order. I just found a typo in Jonathan's story when he gets Uh-oh. in there. Yeah, instead of organizations, it says originations. <laughs> originations. I don't think hey, that's He's right. never going to hear the end of nope. that. The lack of detail raises significant concerns with regard to targeted funding, outreach. and the. So basically he's saying it's an executive order that doesn't do anything. It's just telling other people to do something. So a, an order, I guess you could call it. <laughs> and that's like what orders are. But the White House says... The executive order doesn't require additional funding. Walt seems to think that's because the executive order isn't actually putting anything in place besides you guys take care of this. So the executive order may not require additional funding, but will it require additional funding from DOD or VA to actually And do you this? know it will because if they're providing services, then the money has to come from somewhere. Yeah. So there's also several modern tools in the VA's arsenal to combat veteran suicide and mental health issues telemental health service now provided through 10 regional hubs so that's actually mental health service where you don't actually have to go in person uh there are some questions about how beneficial that can be if you're not actually there 
with someone? Is it are you getting the same thing out of it as you would be in an office with a mental health professional? Uh, but it's better than nothing. We certainly know that. You know, talking to somebody on the phone is better than nothing. Being able Absolutely. to do it via webcam, that's a big deal. Thirteen mobile apps that veterans and their families can download and use the tools provided to help manage emotional and behavioral concerns. Readjustment counselors at three hundred community based vet centers providing professional readjustment counseling to veterans and active duty service members. You know what I want to do? What's that? I want, when we're done with this show, I want us to find one of the uh, community-based vet centers in the area, and I want somebody from there, one of the readjustment counselors, to come in. I'll look into it. Yeah. When veterans can't make it to the vet center or one of their 80 mobile vet centers, um, when they can't make it to the vet center, one of the mobile vet centers, they have 80 of them. Remember, 50 states, so almost two per state. uh, Head out to reach as many rural living veterans as possible. we got to remember those people living in places like West Texas, Montana, uh, Utah, Wyoming, these places where they can be hours away from civilization, really. Um, The most wide-ranging study of veteran suicide was released by the VA last year with over 55 million health care records from 79 to 2014. It's not good. It's not good. When we look at the issue, there's uh, somewhere around 20 veterans a day taking their lives. And this executive order hopefully does something to combat that. Again, we don't know exactly what it does other than telling people, hey, get this done, which sometimes some people need to be told to get things done. We're getting it done here on the morning briefing. Coming up in just a moment, Matt Schumann, legislative director of the American Legion, and Joe Plensler, their media guru. They're going to join us. And then coming up later, the CEO of Vetted is going to talk about how he plans to change the transition process. Morning briefing back after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing. It is Wednesday, January 10th, 2018, and I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer in ConnectingVets.com. Well, that's your website. We mean that. Created by veterans for veterans and working to connect vets every day. If you go check out Connecting Vets right now, our top five stories you'll see on there. 60 Minutes highlighting research into military brain injuries. Hill Vets founder Justin Brown talking about the delays to the VA's electronic health records program. Military sexual trauma survivors speak out at the Pentagon. Coming up on retirement, where you might want to go and how you can best do it. And a really uplifting story of a 75-year-old Army veteran in Georgia who was living in a house that, well, dilapidated houses made fun of it. People have gotten together and fixed up this guy's house. We talked to him while it was going on, and then we talked to them afterwards. Matt Sainting did a great story on it. Go check that out at ConnectingVets.com. And we kept up to date on the latest and greatest taking place within the veteran and military communities. You need to follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. A little click of the mouse or tap on your phone screen will change your life for the better. I guarantee it. And if it doesn't, what is my guarantee worth? Well, I guess an apology. But I know I won't have to apologize for the great work we're doing here. We understand the veteran community because we are the veteran community. Look at me and Jake. 13 years in the Navy for me. 13 in the Army for Jake. 
put us together like Voltron. We're a 26-year E12, and that is impressive. Speaking of impressive, something that impresses me is when a veteran goes out and starts their own organization, their own company, to address issues instead of just complaining about them. And our next guest has done exactly that. He is the chief executive officer of vetted Army veteran Robert White. Now, what is vetted? Well, it's an organization that has the stated goals of restructuring and privatizing the veteran transition process and reversing the downtrend in veteran entrepreneurship. Please welcome CEO of vetted Robert White to the program. Robert, good morning. How are you doing today? Hey, good morning, Eric. Thanks for having me on this morning. It's absolutely a pleasure. Now, before we talk about Vetted and what you're doing with this organization, let's talk a little bit about your background. So, as I mentioned, Army veteran, where are you from, when did you join, and what did you do while you were in? So, I'm as well as an Air Force brat, family has served in the military since basically um, the Civil War, so it's kind of genetic in our sense, (laughs) you know, in my blood, too, actually being in the military. I joined back in 1997. First in the uh, reserve side, and then a couple of years, and then finally about 2002, 2003 time frame, was able to transfer to active duty uh, from the enlisted as a combat engineer and heavy equipment operator. Moving fast forward, you know, through most of my career, I was able to have that opportunity during the um, rush and the bringing more officers onto the uh, dark side from the enlisted. I was able to apply to Officer Cannon School. As we like to say, uh, coming over to the dark side and saw that I will leave the military in the next 10 years. What's my retirement going to look like and what is going to be best for me? So uh, I took that leap of faith and commissioned in 2009 as an artillery officer, field artillery. Wow. So really seeing uh, quite a few different aspects, reserves, active duty, uh, enlisted and officer side. Now, are you still continuing to serve or have you finished up your time? Unfortunately, uh, my time uh, came to an end this past September. I was medically released uh, due to an injury, um, which, you know, that's sometimes how it happens. But, you know, I was blessed enough to be able to find my way into an organization like Vetit um, and then be able to take, you know, the reins of it later uh, during my transition. Well, and that means that you did. I mean, if this was last year, that's 20 years total service, correct? If you entered the reserves in 97, right? Correct. Wow, that's a long time and certainly worthy of everyone's respect. Now, of course, the organization Vetted that we're going to get to talking about focuses a lot on veteran transition and helping vets transition. I imagine that that has something to do with what your transition process was like. And since it was just last year, I'm sure it's still pretty fresh in your mind. Tell us about your transition process. As you said, you, you due to an injury, you're basically forced to get out for medical reasons. So it probably wasn't something you were expecting for all that long. What was transitioning from active duty army officer, artillery officer, Robert White to civilian Robert White like for you? First, I just want to let everybody know that so Vetit was founded uh, by a Navy SEAL named uh, Michael Sorelli. I, I was lucky enough to connect with him during my transition. That is where my story starts with Vetit. About a little over a year, year and a half ago, I just luckily on LinkedIn, saw someone you know, make a little comment about check out Vetit. And it's, uh, from there, met Michael over the phone. I was the first um, advocate to the program surprisingly and then a year later now uh, actually the ceo of the program so that's a tip you know that i would say that hard work and perseverance will get you to there just keep going my transition 
it, it was, you know, everybody's different. You know, everybody goes through a different type of process. I prepared the physical and the job change so much, and I was ready for that. Uh, the one area that I thought I was ready for, and I heard you talk with you, you know, your last uh, guest on the show um, with the mental health side was the psychology of transitioning, and that is where my resiliency uh, training, everything was able to kick in, but just not enough as I left the military this past September. Mm. So you know, I would say, again, transitioning, changing jobs uh, externally, we're great at doing that. It's the internal part that we still have to do. And part of our program covers that and goes over what the psychology of better transition looks like. Yeah. And it, there's certainly a lot to deal with when it comes to transition. I mean, it's a significant lifestyle change that happens almost immediately. And really the amount of preparation work that we do in the military, whether it's a tap class or something like that. I mean, I did 13 years where it was my life day in and day out. And then I got something like seven, eight working days of, of quote unquote training to get out. Uh, were you happy with what was provided to you during the transition process as far as uh, the preparation that the military DOD, the VA and all those people gave to you, or did you see a lot of space for improvement there? I see a lot of space for improvement there. It's, the program does what the law is written to do. Unfortunately, that's not enough for our veterans. Uh, we need to do more. The transition process has to be improved, and the way to do that is for the private side sector. Um, you know, when we bring in people to the military, you go through basic training, you go through that transition part to become a you know a military service member. Um, you go to corporate America, you go to the same training as going to corporate America. You wouldn't take a CEO of a you know, Fortune 500 company and make them a brigade or an 0506 commander of a unit. So why would we do the same for our, our service members who are leaving, thinking the lateral transfer goes straight over? So we have to be able to work with that private sector and be able to improve not just the DOL part of it, uh, but also even the VA side of what that transition looks like. I was fortunate to do many of the programs like hiring our heroes, corporate fellowship program, um, the IVMS programs. But again, those are very limited to each installation and each service even limits what their service members can do. The Army does lead the way, but the Navy, the Air Force uh, are far behind in what they're allowing their service members and allowing that time off to actually do a transition correctly. We're speaking with Robert White. Robert is the CEO of Vetted. He's a 20-year Army veteran just leaving the service uh, last year, 2017. Now, tell us a little bit more about Vetted. This organization, as you said, founded by a Navy SEAL that you came into touch with. As I stated, some of the goals that you guys say that you have is to restructure and privatize the veteran transition process and reverse the downtrend in veteran entrepreneurship. So give us the breakdown of exactly what Vetted is and how you guys are working to accomplish those goals. So Michael Sorelli, uh, basically on his last tour of the Navy, he's actually uh, in his transition leave right now, retiring. It was hired by uh, the Texas A&M college system. Was completing his MBA at the University of Texas, um, Combs. And our program, the Management Program, was a product resulting basically from a 12-month research for his MBA regarding like the civic challenges we just talked about, you know, facing the veterans, that gap analysis uh, within that transition process and other platforms. So he was able to then work with the University of Pennsylvania 
the Wharton School, as well as both University of Texas, the Coast Business School, and Texas A&M Mays Business School, and collaborate to create basically the most comprehensive, better transform, transition platform in the nation. So during the transition platform, it's a seven-month fellowship where five months of your study with the uh, Wharton School. And then for the last two months, you come in residency, depending on which school you choose, University of Texas, Texas A&M being our pilot cohorts, uh, that you come into that residency part to build off of your business foundations, learn from Wharton, to give you the hard skills, that business acumen that we need to be able to go into the uh, corporate jobs or the other capstone uh, veteran entrepreneurship, be able to work with partners like our Bunker Labs, Jonas Project, and help you, guide you through with that business plan and that pitch and take you from you know, soup to nuts in that sense. And it's really interesting when you look at the uh, vetted website, of course, vetted.org is the website. If you want to go and check that out, the variety of personnel that you have who are taking part in this. I mean, Admiral Bobby Inman is the chairman, retired Admiral, of course, Uh, as you said, Michael Sorelli, the founder. But going down the list, I mean, I'm seeing brigadier generals, lieutenant colonels, colonels, command sergeant majors. Uh, Is your entire team comprised of veterans or is it a mixture of veterans and civilians that are working to uh, to accomplish the goals that vetted? It is a mixture of veterans and civilians. Uh, we are able to rely on the, the senior leadership of, of the military as well as and rely on the senior leadership in the civilian sector. Um, we aren't the experts at this. You know, everybody it takes that 10,000 hours. So we tell, even Mike and myself tell people, don't listen to us. We aren't the experts. Listen to the experts are. And that is who we are partnering with and who is on our board and our mentorship that we receive from the corporate side, as well as a serial entrepreneurs. And there are so many entrepreneurs out there, and it's, I, I really take pride in the fact that here at Connecting Vets, we get to shine a spotlight on some of the veterans who are doing great things after leaving the ser- service by founding their own companies and doing their own things. But there are so many others out there with great ideas who are struggling to get their ideas off the ground. Yeah. Is that something that Vetted is also trying to help the veteran community with to build up the number of veteran entrepreneurs who find success? That's correct, Eric. Basically, it's, it's talked about one of our goals, you know, versus the downtrend. You look at World War II, you know, as veterans came home, almost 50% of them either started or owned their own business. And after the Korean War, it dropped down to 40%. Post 9-11 veterans right now, it's, it's roughly, you know, around that 5% for us. So seeing that staggering drop in us owning our own business, when 45% of us want to actually own our own business, leave the military, is very important to us. Uh, so we're able to, again, take that business foundation and intelligence piece, uh, get the education through the school, and then also through the capstone of the entrepreneurship, working with, again, like I said, the partners of Bunker Labs and with serial entrepreneurs help take you from start to finish. And, you know, once you're a vetted fellow, you, you just don't walk out the door and you don't a program and you're done. You are there for life with us. So we're able to help you again if you have to go back through the program to apply. And because transition just doesn't stop when you leave the military. Right. You're going to have multiple transitions the rest of your life. 
And that's an interesting thing that I think a lot of people don't think about when, let's say, you retire from the military even. If you do 20 years and you get to that retirement uh, benchmark, after that you're going to go into something else. Chances are you're going to be, I mean, if you enlist at 18, 19 years old, you're going to be under 40 when you retire from the military. There's still a lot more time. You're going to have a second career, a second life, if you will. That's something that I think when we transition, we probably should take into account when we look forward that this isn't going to be the last time that we transition, whether it's between jobs, whether it's ending another career. I mean, how do you guys look at that that multiple transition period for veterans and how they can prepare for it? So, sadly, right now, most veterans, when they're leaving the service uh, or taking the job, just to take the job coming out because of you know many different reasons. And within that first year, you know, and you can look at different statistics out there. You know, everybody says around 56% leave their job, you know, for being unhappy. So we take a look at that. And through the psychology of veteran transition course that we have built into the program, that that's one area that goes over how do you continually look at the next transition, as well as looking, again, the, the business sense of if you're going into the corporate America sometimes that first job is going to be a stepping stone and that's what the civilians do as well. So we have to change that mindset and look at it from a different framework. So again, going through and working with the civilian sector and corporate uh, America where they host our fellows allows them to receive that different framework as well. Tell me a little bit about the fellows for vetted and we're speaking with the CEO of vetted army veteran, Robert white. Tell me a little bit about the fellows that you guys have right now and who you look for. I mean, who are, who is the, the, the future fellow for vetted, the person out there that you would like to apply to become a, a vetted fellow. Great question. We try to, our goal is to work with the best from the military service. Not every program is, you know, the best fit, for a veteran, so you have to find which one. You have to be able to work with those organizations to find that best fit. For us, that best fit is we're looking for those non-commissioned officers, those officers, and we don't require you to have a, a bachelor's degree, which is great compared to many other programs out there that require you to have one. Because we understand that the education piece you receive from you, you know, doing so many years in the military is, is equal to that outside of being able to have that opportunity to receive a degree. We're not going to hold that against, you know, a lot of the enlisted who didn't have that opportunity because, you know, back-to-back deployments. Uh, so to get to your, answer your question, looking for those NCOs, those officers who are of high caliber um, and diversity inclusion is huge for us. Looking at our first uh, cohort pilots going out the uh, gate, you know, we're sitting around almost 15% of females, uh, a little bit over 50% of minorities. As, and then not even just within that, having a higher, you know, a little bit more of the Army because everything kind of equates to what the percentages of the branches already are. So we're able to have that great spread across all the services and different jobs. But we don't look for one specific, you know, military occupational specialty, and we don't look for one specific service. But we do look for that holistic picture of what you did while you're serving and if you're out, what you have done when you've been out and provided back to the community as well as, uh, to the corporate or entrepreneurship side of the world. Looking at where you are now, having risen to the position of CEO with Vetted and having done that you know, so quickly after leaving the service, really, your transition seems to have gone fairly smoothly, I would say, just, look, just looking at where you are now <laughs> and when you left a few months ago. 
Thinking back yeah. to when you were preparing for transition, as you said, essentially medically retired, not really preparing to get out, didn't want to get out, just kind of had to. What lessons did you personally learn during the transition process that you think could benefit veterans who are going through that now or those who are, like, say, your vetted fellows out there? There's so many recommendations I give you. Uh, find a mentor is the first one I would say. I was uh, blessed to have a mentor, surprisingly from Canada, uh, who told me, you know, Rob, when you find a job that you'll work for and, you know, they won't and work for free, that is what you love to do. And that's where I'm at right now. And, you know, not every person is going to be able to do that, you know, walking out of the military. But having that mentor and having that this hard discussion with them in the beginning was very important to me. Uh, from the mentorship side, we work with great uh, organizations like Veterati and American Corporate Partners. And from them, we're able to tie our vetted fellows to those mentors who can help them with the resume. There's so many career services available that, you know, writing resumes or doing a career transition, you're going to receive different conflicting information all the time. Each corporation, you know, wants a resume in a different format. So that's why I say the mentor is the first important thing walking during your transition to get you know, the second point is good. No, no, go ahead. Oh, the second point is take an internal look at yourself and seeing what your values are. If your values aren't aligned to what position, what industry you're looking for next, then you're not going to be happy in your next career, your next job. Like mm-hmm. as we joined the military, it was because of values. And we learned a lot of those values while serving. So take that same value system to uh, part of your transition and apply it to it. Those are the two biggest important lessons I learned during uh, beginning my transition, probably roughly the summer of 2016. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that it's never too early to start thinking about. In my case, 13 years in, and I wasn't planning to get out either. My whole story is a different <laughs> one. But I, I wasn't preparing for it. And then I went through a tap class, as I said, that was essentially a week and a half, two weeks of uh, a bunch of people telling yeah. me that I should go work for the government. And I had a pretty good idea. That wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't know about a lot of the organizations out there like Vetted who are working to help the transitioning service member find their place in the world, whether it's as an entrepreneur, whether it's joining a team. There's so many different ways to do that. And one thing that I've noticed from looking through the website uh, for Vetted, again, vetted.org is where you can go. When you click on the Partners tab, you guys have some really impressive education partners, including the Wharton Business School at University of Pennsylvania, the Mays Business School at Texas A&M, the Texas executive education at the University of Texas at Austin. How big has it been for you guys to get involved with these wonderful, really top-of-the-line business programs at the colleges, and how beneficial do you think that can be for the veteran community, having that association? It's, it's been a surreal experience. Um, I had an opportunity recently to go and visit the Wharton School and sit in a room and have some of the brightest minds in the world look at me and ask me, how do we solve this problem for the transition for veterans? And they're looking at us. The business schools are looking to the veterans to help them solve this transition, challenges, specific issues. Uh, we also just recently announced working with Foster Business School, University of Washington, now Seattle. And we have a couple of other top MBA programs in the you know, top 10 that are, look, that are working with us that we're hoping to announce later this month, the programs that will launch later this year. Um, but being able to work with them and be able to, again, that framework 
of what they're seeing things and these, uh, I guess, the systemic views that they have of veterans that everyone, you know, again, PTSD or that we're going to come out and that we're robots. It was one of the biggest uh, challenges in the beginning of working with the universities and show that no, we're not robots. We're also, you know, human beings too. We're able to come out and be able to uh, apply our education from the military and then be able to have that soft skills and bring it to a university. And it's absolutely huge that you guys have built these partnerships. You've built an amazing team. As you said, Navy SEAL founder, Navy retired admiral chairman, the vice chairman is the spouse of a serving Congress member. You're the CEO. I look down that list and you've got people like Ashley Camrath, who's been doing fantastic stuff down in uh, Austin, Texas for the veteran community and nationally. Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, of course, people who know who yep. they are, two SEALs who have uh, done great <laughs> things in the world as well. Uh, if you haven't checked out. Yeah, 4.30 every day. Go check out Jocko's Instagram page. Uh, let's see, it's 8.30 Eastern now, so about an hour ago, he would have posted him getting to the gym by taking a picture of his watch. If you haven't checked out their stuff, you definitely should, and if you haven't checked out Vetted, it really seems like there's great stuff going on over there, a fantastic team in place to address this issue. Now, what do you see as the future for Vetted? I know you've got a great class of fellows right now. I imagine they're not going to be the last one. Where do you see Vetted going in the future ceo robert white let me ask you we'll continue as we've already scaled nationally to university of washington we'll continue to scale to other uh, top nba programs uh, anywhere from you know, the east coast to the west coast uh, for the first couple schools coming out of the gate is be able to adjust the program and take the lessons learned from our fellows and then be able to apply it because the program's so malleable that's what i love about it and that each university is able to build their own curriculum. So that party of being able to scale to every university and be able to plug and play is very important to us. Um, also, being able to find the next corporate partners, uh, Corporate America, looking for them to partner with us for sponsorship of the programs, anywhere from uh, hosting our fellows at the capstone and then ultimately, you know, helping to employ them. Um, then reversing the downtrend, you know, as we scale continually and hitting the different industries and helping each veteran who wants to start that business anywhere from a franchise to being a straight startup or to then buying a business that's already there because they're able to have that business plan. Uh, so for us, a scaling, we'll, we'll take our time. We'll be able to do it methodically and look and make sure that we're making the right decisions of who we're partnering with and where we're going next vetted doing it methodically and doing it big we've been speaking to the ceo of vetted robert white here on this wednesday edition of the morning briefing that's now coming to a close robert if people want to find out more about vetted where do they go please go to vetted.org as well as all of our social media uh, ends with vetted usa i appreciate the time this morning eric thank you so much for having us on and be able to introduce our program as well as our organization. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we also want to thank Matt Schumann, Legislative Director for the American Legion, for coming on today. Tomorrow, Wounded Paw Project, live in studio. They're doing great things with our four-legged friends. Hey, have a great day. See you tomorrow. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. 